Welcome to Inquire, the Investor Relations Podcast. In today's interview, I am delighted to be joined by Siobhan Andrews. Siobhan is a highly regarded IR professional with more than 16 years expertise in in-house investor relations, as well as 10 years capital markets experience in equity research and investment management. Most recently, Siobhan was Head of Investor Relations and Corporate Affairs at Spectrus, a FTSE 250 industrials company. Prior to that, Siobhan was an IR manager and then Deputy Head of IR at BG Group, a FTSE 100 oil and gas company that was acquired by Royal Dutch Shell in early 2016. So you and I recently sat together as panellists at this year's Investor Relations Society Conference in the UK, where together with a few other senior IR professionals, we spoke about the opportunities and challenges for small and mid-cap investor relations. We spoke about the rewards of working as part of a smaller team and the career opportunities that that can provide. So it'd be really great to recap on your thoughts here for our audience. Yes, thank you. And look, I came from the sell side. I've worked on the buy side and then I've worked at a large cap FTSE. So I worked at BG Group. I did 10 years there. So I came from a, a large cap FTSE 10 team with a large team around me. Um, so we had sort of seven people in the team. So we could cover all the workloads that were thrown at you as an IR team and pretty much ensure best practice because we had the resource around that. When you switch to a one-person team, and you know what best practice looks like, you really need to prioritise what you're going to do. And ultimately, the buck stops with you. So you really need to have the conviction in your own views and go with your sort of gut feeling and the experience that you've built up before you you have done IR previously. I think really from a one-person team, it really gives you the opportunity to get involved in a much wider variety of activities. So at Spectrus, we didn't have a comms team. So I got involved in some of the internal and external comms. We did quite a lot of M&A, both as a buyer and divesting companies. So getting involved in the narrative around that, both externally to the stock market and also internally to our teams, particularly for the divesting businesses to make sure that they were handheld through that process. I got involved in the remuneration engagement when we had um, new remuneration policies introduced. So I think it really gives you a, a broader participation in the corporate narrative, in the corporate strategy. And I think that's the really exciting thing about working for a smaller team. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge from my perspective for small caps is, is often you're on quite a tight budget with limited resource. Um, so you have to exactly, as you say, prioritise your time and, and your allocation of, of your budget and resource um, to the top priorities. I think, as you said as well, the, the opportunity for a small cap is all about the exposure you get to the broader business. Uh, you get, in my experience, often greater access to the C-suite, greater influence. And it's a fantastic opportunity, particularly for someone maybe relatively early in their career, to start thinking, to get that exposure to different areas um, around the broader sort of communication function. So there's lots of positives of small cap IR as well as exactly, the challenges. Yeah. I think that board exposure and that C-suite exposure is really important for you to sort of get a deeper dive into the business and the machinations of how a strategy is set, how capital allocation decisions are made, how M&A decisions are made. So really, if you do get the opportunity, really soak it up, learn from it and absorb exactly what you can from it. So you play a really active role in the Investor Relations Society in the UK, including being a mentor on the IR Society Mentoring Programme, which is sponsored by Equatory. So can you tell us a little bit more about the programme? And particularly, I'm interested in why you chose to participate in it and what your role is within it. Yeah, look, I really like being a mentor. I'm now on my third mentee. Each one has come from a 
different background and different experiences, they do try to match you with people, particularly from a similar industry, so that you can help people that are in a, got a similar backdrop. But it's really important from my perspective to share the experience that I have. You know, I've got 16 and a half years of experience. I've been through pretty much every good and bad event that a company can go through in its corporate journey. So I think sharing those insights and experience is a really good way to help people on their IR journey, particularly those earlier in the career. And often you're in a team of one and there's generally no one else internally who has the experience of being in investor relations. So sometimes IR can be quite a lonely place. So it's really always good to have a friendly face to engage with and support you and handheld you. Now, of course, you can't share price sensitive information. It can be from a technical point of view. So a service provider, it can be how do you go around targeting, which IR advisors do you use? But also, I think it's important to help them generally coaching, you know, managing upwards is a pretty big ask of investor relations. So how to engage and influence the C-suite So helping them on that journey, helping them on career development, what courses they should be doing, where they should be thinking about getting experience. And then I also get something out of it, you know, engaging with other people, seeing how other teams operate. So it's a sort of win-win from both perspectives. But I think it's really that helping people on their journey and sharing the insights and experience that I've had. And, you know, one of the roles that I really enjoyed when I was at BG, I had two IR managers and analysts coming into me and there was two people I hired into the team without IR experience at all. And I really enjoyed that coaching and mentoring element. So I'm really glad I've had the opportunity to carry on doing that. I love the opportunity to talk independently to someone about career progression as well that I think the mentoring program provides. As you say, IR teams are quite small. You might be a team of one or a very small team and not able to have those slightly more sensitive conversations with your direct boss. Um, so I think it's it's fantastic for anyone who's, who's looking to have a longer term career in investor relations to consider getting involved. And there's so much from both sides, both for the mentor and the mentee that you can get out of the experience. I think wherever anyone is on their career journey, whether you're a seasoned IR professional with the amount of experience that I've got or you're new to the game, there's always a learning to do. There's always an event that you haven't quite been through. There's always an advisor you've not worked with. So I think you need to look at it as a learning practice for yourself as well, being a mentor as well as the mentee. I think you can take something from it too. In terms of upcoming events, I see you're going to be moderating an IR webinar for the IR Society in September 23. This webinar is to hear from the sales side, how they liaise with IR and how IROs can best support them. So why this theme and why now? And can you give us a sneak preview of any topics or questions which you might expect to cover? Yeah, and I think, look, I went to the IR Society conference, which is a great event. And we heard a lot there from corporates and investors And we didn't really hear much from the sell side. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity to tap into that audience. They're obviously an important audience for you to engage with. So I thought it'd be a good idea to hear direct from the horse's mouth exactly what they are looking for from a good IRO. And of course, they speak to multiple people within their sector. And so they will have a very good perspective of what good and bad IR looks like within their space. So I think it's really good. You can share best practice with other IROs in your sector and across different sectors. But if you can hear from the sell side, they can give a good insight. So we're going to be looking at different themes, how we can help them in their coverage, but also how can they help you, for example, targeting new investors, best practice forms of investor engagement, be that around really good examples of capital markets days or investor events 
or good presentation ideas. So it's a sort of two-way conversation, how we can help them, but how also the IROs can best pivot from that sell-side audience. You know, one of the things that they are variable at giving out is investor feedback. They're in talking to your investor base every single day and they have a direct conversation with them about your company you know, you need to be able to tap into that because obviously as an IRO, you don't have that time to speak to investors that, that frequently. So making sure that they come to you whenever they hear a bit of a snippet from ABC investor. So, you know, they're the th- sort of things that we would be looking to help for them to help on. So I'm hoping to get some ideas on that from. I also think networking with the sell side is, is really important, actually, to building a slightly more sort of in-depth and less formal relationship outside of speaking to them around results and events. Go for a coffee in a quiet period of time and, and you just strengthen that relationship and you get a little bit of additional insight, I think, in terms of what they're seeing more broadly across the market through their investor interactions. Yeah, and I think it helps them do, you know, write better research as well. If they're having that ongoing dialogue with you, Obviously, you're not sharing anything that you wouldn't share with the wider audience, but sometimes they go, oh, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. So it's quite good to get a good engagement with them to make sure that the coverage is as good as it can be. And look, they're all very stretched at the moment, covering multiple stocks. So getting good research covering and ensuring that continues and increasing the coverage is a good thing from a corporate point of view as well. And how does your experience in equity research shape your approach to investor relations? I was 10 years as an analyst. And of course, that's really about analysing, assessing and critiquing companies' performance, its strategy and ultimately its management. And yet I'd never set foot inside a corporate. So what did I really, really know? So I really wanted to come in-house and see that work from the inside, taking really what I'd learned from being on the sell side and the buy side and helping craft that corporate narrative. I think it's really important to understand that you're messaging the strategy you're not writing it <laughs> but that experience as a sales side really helped me understand how to pitch the story well what language to use you know when you say results were broadly in line with expectations everyone ultimately knows what that means what were the pitfalls to avoid what questions to expect when the results document or a press release lands on their desk and so not just the first question but the follow-ups the second and third and fourth questions And then it was really about being able to lean on the relationships that I've made. A lot of the investors that I'd spoke to as an analyst covering the utility sector also covered BG Group. So there was people that I had relationships with that I could then quite easily pick up the phone to them, you know, very early on in my career at BG and say, look, you know, what's this company doing well? What are we not doing well? What are we missing? Why are you an owner? Why are you not an owner? So it really helped on those sort of early conversations with investors to really help me get under the skin of being at BG. And I think really for me, it was about understanding a company, doing a deep dive on one company than trying to understand 10, 15 or 20 companies at a more superficial level. So currently, given the challenges in capital markets, I'm hearing from a lot of sell-side analysts who are looking to make the move, career move into investor relations. And so having done both roles, what surprised you about the transition from equity research into IR when you first made it? And do you have any advice for these individuals looking to make a similar move themselves? Yeah, I'm not sure there's anything too surprising. Obviously, being an analyst would give me an insight into how companies think about strategy and the financials. Probably the thing that surprised me the most was how much prep time went into comms with the market, the multiple iterations of result statements and presentations. 
the Q&A rehearsals to really get the messaging right. And, you know, we would often spend quite a long time on individual words, you know, with results solid, good, in line, because we wanted to make sure that the message landed particularly well. So I think that was probably the most surprising. Look, I think on any new role, my advice would be listen, reflect, act. So be curious, ask lots of questions. And when you're new, you can ask the really stupid questions. Um, There probably isn't any stupid questions, but ask them anyway. Listen hard. You might think if you've come, particularly if it's a company you used to cover, you might think you know the business, but really listen hard to the answers you get about the people that are running those businesses. Don't just understand the business from a financial and strategic point of view. Get a deep cultural understanding of how it operates. You need to be yourself and be authentic. But use the insights and experience that you've got from being the sell side and bring that into the table as well. So bring, you know, examples you've heard from other companies, because that's really important. And then it's really about building the networks. So internally, obviously, the exec are important, but it's the finance, the COSEC, the heads of the business, the comms, and then externally, the advisors, sell side investors, but also importantly, the non-holders. Why are there people not holding the stock? Go out and meet them. Is there something that you're missing in the messaging that you can quite easily fix? So those relationships are really going to help you on your journey. So that's the most important thing to do. So listen, reflect, act. That's fantastic advice. I love that. In your most recent IR role at Spectrus, one of your big final projects was the Capital Markets Day held in October 2022. We're seeing a lot of companies hosting Capital Markets Days currently. Um, So it'd be good to understand for our listeners what was the rationale behind hosting this day? How did you prepare for it? And most importantly, perhaps, how did you measure the success of this or any Capital Markets events that take so much time and preparation to work towards? Yeah, and that's probably the hardest part of it, actually. So we did a Capital Markets Day in October. And it was really to lay out the next evolution of the strategy and then set some new medium term targets around that. And then it was also an opportunity for us to do a deeper dive into our key businesses, allowing us to showcase those business, but also importantly, the people that run them and our products. So I would say you really need to plan carefully for these events. So have a project manager to oversee the whole event. They're like the puppet master pulling on all of the strings set out up front the key messages you want to land and make sure that you weave those through the entire narrative. So if you're, you know, repitching the strategy, make sure the individual businesses, their story tells you about how they're helping deliver on that strategy or delivering on those performance metrics. Make sure you set clear milestones and deliverables along the way in terms of what you need to achieve in the preparation and share those with all the relevant people and get them in people's diaries. One of the things I really enjoy about Capital Market Stays is coaching the people from within the business that are getting involved in it. They generally haven't had exposure to an investor audience. They're really good at pitching the story to a customer or a supplier, but the language they're going to use for those is going to be very different to an investor audience. There's no use for using super high technical language. Buy-side generalist fund managers are not going to necessarily understand that. So helping them switch their story to a different audience and let them know what they can and can't say. And don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry, that's a really interesting question, but I can't share that information because it's confidential. I would say do a dress rehearsal if you can to iron out those last minute issues and check the logistics again and again 
And again, because if you've got the most perfect setup and then something like the webcast isn't working, it sort of doesn't matter. So I think judging the success is quite tricky. People will always look at the share price, but there can be a multitude of other factors going on in the market that day that would impact the share price. I think you get to understand how successful it's been when you have conversations with people afterwards. So when you go and speak to the investors they attended, the sell-side analysts, and you know, did the messages land with them? And you'll probably be able to see that in their post-event research notes. But it's, I think generally these things should be a bit of a slow burn. You're not going to see an overnight reaction to it. But I think speaking to the investors, getting feedback from them will help you assess how successful or not it was. I think that feedback point is really important. I have a client planning for a capital markets event later this year, uh, and they were sort of asking for advice on on the format. And my best suggestion around that was actually speak to the audience first, get their views on how much time they've got to commit to the event, how much travel they're able to participate in around the site visit that goes alongside the event. And, and then exactly as you say, getting that retrospective feedback from both the sell side and the buy side after the event is, is incredibly valuable and a neat way of, of measuring the success that you can then share with the board. And I think, you know, getting investors in to see your businesses, you know, the actual physical locations is really great. But sometimes the logistics of that can be quite tricky. So you need to make sure that there's simple things like, is there a train service from London directly that gets there in time for the event? I did one in Brazil when I was at BG and the logistics around that was very challenging. We actually had to hire, we had to charter a plane to take people from one location to another. So that was quite tricky to manage the logistics around that one. That's a nice segue into talking about your time at BG Group. So you were Deputy Head of Investor Relations at BG Group when it was acquired by Royal Dutch Shell. And you've also got experience of being on the buy side from an M&A situation perspective. And it always gives IR a pivotal role to play when there's M&A ongoing in the company. So talk firstly about your role during the BG Group deal. Any key takeaways or lessons learned from being in that M&A situation? Yeah, and that was a really interesting deal. It came together fairly quickly. And given the scale of it, it was we needed to do it quickly because we didn't want it to leak. So it was interesting that we announced it in April, I believe, um, of 2015. And then it took until February the following year for the deal to complete because we had to get regulatory approval. So it was a bit sort of business as usual through that period in that we were continuing to report as normal. We were continuing to go out on the road, meeting investors, but obviously talking about the deal as the sort of key item on the agenda. One of the things that was different is that at that time we had to have chaperones to every investor engagement. That's gone away now, but that meant every phone call incoming, you had to say, I'm really sorry, I've got to get our advisors on the phone. So you you had to be very careful about who you spoke to and when. There was a lot of different investors that we spoke to, so a lot more people who were trading around the deal, much more short term, and they were very much looking for insight particularly around the regulatory approval or any of the milestones in getting that deal approved and sort of getting towards the shareholder meeting. So that was interesting, having those much more short-term, sometimes almost daily conversations with those type of investors. So that was quite interesting. At BG, we had a big retail shareholder base from the British gas history or legacy. So we had to do quite a bit of engagement around that. And actually, the deal was a cash and share deal, and there was a mix and match program So you could choose to take different elements of cash and shares 
we put together an investor guide for the private investors for them to understand how they could choose or select a higher element of cash or shares in the transaction. And actually, we had a phone line set up for them to call. So getting involved in setting that up and having that manned. So there were some interesting angles that I hadn't expected to be involved in. I think the key lessons learned are listen to feedback, engage with your audience. They're the sort of key things. And I think then I've done the M&A deal as a buyer as well. So at BG, we did two list on market transactions, one friendly, one hostile. The hostile one was very interesting, lots of lots of fun. And then at Spectrus, we've done M&A as a seller, so divesting business. And then there was two class one transactions that we tried as well. So I've been on sort of both sides of the fence. Ahead of any M&A deal, make sure you know what your messaging is going to be. So plan for that. Have contingency plans. We had a leaked M&A deal and we had to come out with a leaked statement very, very rapidly. So have contingency plans in place. And then keep everyone informed. Usually an M&A deal team is quite small, so making sure everybody is in the loop on everything and keeping everyone fully informed of events, milestones and feedback along the way. So you can adjust the narrative if you need to as you go through the process. It's a great point on being prepared for what can go wrong, particularly around leaks. I worked in media investor relations. Almost every single deal would invariably leak to the press at some point during a transaction. We had a kind of drill in place. We'd always have the announcement pre-drafted. We had a chain of comms um, to get together and who needed to sign off on what in in the event of of that situation. And through experience, we became very slick at managing that situation as, as best as we could. Our theme that's very interesting and came up recently at the Investor Relations Conference was artificial intelligence. Do you have any thoughts around technological developments in IR, including potential uses of AI? Yeah, I think you know, increasing use of technology has got to be a good thing for us, particularly in a small team. Things that are more process-oriented, anything that can help speed up on that has got to be a good thing for a one-person team. Um, I think Despite the fact that we're now going out on the road meeting investors, virtual engagement is still going to stay strong. So I think there'll be an element of hybrid engagement still. So I think looking at different ways of engaging and with new audience, particularly around the private investor, there seems to be more opportunities to engage with that audience who are equally as important. I think you should take a digital first approach to your reporting. So when you're thinking about your annual report, Think about a digital approach to that first. And AI, I think, is the one that we don't quite know. So I think there's still very early adoption on the IR side from what I can understand. But interestingly, at the IR Society conference, I was talking to one of the buy side participants afterwards, and he said they are using it to review press releases and and comms from the IR community or from corporate community. So the use of positive versus negative language, you know, how has the tone changed from one reporting season to the next? What was covered in depth last time? And maybe the company has decided not to talk about it this time or conversely. So I think investors are adopting it earlier than probably I've seen on the IR side, but we do need to be aware on it. Obviously, everything, we're working with price sensitive information. So you can't just stick a press release into a chat GPT and get an output. But there are certainly elements of your annual report. The strategy, you know, doesn't change from year to year. It's a different way of writing it. If you're writing about thematics in, I know, the pharmaceutical market or the aerospace market, could it help with things like that? 
So we need to be super aware of it and ask your investors how they're using it and make sure that you're aware of that so that you know what they're doing with your press release when it hits the wires at seven o'clock. I think that last piece of advice in particular around understanding the tools the buy side are using is great. There are actually tech tools that IR teams can deploy, which screen the press release before it's published in the same way that the buy side use technology. I think this can be really helpful to gauge sentiment and a potential market reaction or likely market reaction to a press release ahead of time. Although, as with any technologies, these tools come at quite a high cost and therefore may not be accessible to all IR teams. So what aspects of in-house IR roles do you enjoy the most? I think for me, it's engaging with investors and getting out on the road to meet them. So obviously through COVID, it was quite challenging sitting, doing it through a screen. It's really important to hear their views directly and, you know, asking them questions. But also you can tell from body language, you can tell from the tone of a question, you can tell the way they might look at their colleagues around the room exactly what they're thinking you know if the answer that you've given or the c-suite have given just hasn't landed you can sort of see it in their eyes so i think that investor engagement is very important i think it's really important when you meet them to have time at the end of a meeting say look is there anything that you want to tell us is there any feedback that you want to provide to us so that's the bit that i enjoy most and i think it's really satisfying for me is when you've spent time with a new investor or a non-holder really walking them through the story, helping them on the modelling, helping them understand the narrative, and then they come onto the register. And that's always super satisfying. We get to fly to some amazing places. You know, you don't get to see a lot beyond hotel rooms, meeting rooms and airports. But, you know, going to New York, San Francisco, LA, Salt Lake City, Paris, you know, that's, it's fun. (laughs) Couldn't agree more. What's been the most challenging aspect of working in in in-house investor relations in your 16 years? When it goes wrong. (laughs) So when things go wrong and you become front page news. So profit warnings are always bad and you generally don't have one. They tend to come in packs of two, three, four, however many. A particularly notable one I had at BG, we announced on Halloween. So, of course, that gave all the analysts perfect excuse to use Halloween headlines in their research notes. And look, we disappointed investors. They were angry, not specifically at me, but as the spokesperson for the company, we had to take a lot of flack from them, rightly so. So that was challenging. Similarly, I've had remuneration issues, which have ended up on the front page of the tabloid press as well. We'd had an executive pay issue where we were going to give the incoming chief exec a package outside of the REM policy, which required a special meeting. And the investors were not happy about it. And in the end, we had to backtrack and then readjust the package to be within a remuneration policy. But that was all over you know, the Daily Mail and those type of papers. So that was quite interesting to deal with. And then a leaked M&A deal, you know, just days into a transaction, we'd literally got a handshake one week. And then the next week, there was a leak. And we were not able to articulate the story because we hadn't got the auditor sign off of our synergy. So we were not able to articulate the financial impact of the transaction. So we were trying to handhold the investors for a story, but only being able to tell them half of it. So that was quite challenging. My advice would be stay calm. (laughs) 
you might not have been on through one of these issues before, but rely on your instincts because they're generally right. Be contrite. Apologise if you need to. And then from a personal point, lean on those around you to help you through it because you'll need to vent sometimes, learn from it. And then remember, it's going to pass. Today's news will be gone tomorrow. And then those experiences look fantastic on your CV and in interview responses one day in the future. It's really excellent advice. And just building on what you just talked about in terms of managing the stress, any thoughts around just how to manage stress in a high-pressured environment? Because IR, as you say, can jump so quickly you can just come out of a results period straight into a transaction or activism situation it can feel relentless you're often in a small team with limited support around you do you just have any tips um, from based on your experience around how to handle the stress in those high pressured situations as well yeah bg i was blessed with a team around me at spectrus i was mostly a team of one so but there was a lot of people around me at spectrus who were also teams of one So you need to find your allies and your friends at work and become each other's therapists in some respects. I think you need to have an outlet outside of work, whether that's getting away from a situation for five minutes and go and get some fresh air or going to the gym. As I said, these will pass. You know, they're stressful in the moment from a personal point of view. But I always see these things as a great opportunity to learn from And professionally, they really help advance you. Every day should be a school day. And these tough, personally challenging events are really good experiences and learn from them. I think that's great advice. I think taking a break, even if it just takes you slightly longer to walk to buy a sandwich for your dinner, is is a really just good mental reset for 15 minutes before you go back into the office. And getting outside, I think, for me, really helps in those high pressured high stress situations yeah and then to wrap up any particular amusing or funny situation that you can share lots I can't share yes (laughs) (laughs) the one that always brings to mind is usually when logistics go wrong that it becomes amusing you know missed planes because you've been sat in an airport and didn't realize they were calling for you has happened the most amusing one, and it was not funny at the time, and it certainly was not funny for the driver that was involved. We were visiting AXA in La Défense in, in Paris. The driver didn't really know the way. We drove into an underground car park and he got the vehicle, an MPV, wedged in a chicane on the entrance to an underground car park, having also scraped the vehicle roof on a, on a barrier driving in. We had to abandon the car to rush to our meeting which we were late for and then we never saw him again maybe he's still stuck there I don't know (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for joining me Siobhan there's some really really interesting sound bites you've shared that I think will be really beneficial to our audience so thank you so much for your time today thanks Clara that was really fun to speak with you thank you and thank you for joining Inquire the investor relations podcast Please look out for our next episode in conversation with senior investor relations professionals in the UK.